There are no medals for trying when it comes to the postseason. Winning is the only way you get to hold up and wear the hardware. 16 teams have an opportunity starting Tuesday to reach that goal. The Yankees are one of those teams, but which Yankees team will show up in Cleveland? Nellie and I discussed the upcoming wildcard series with the Indians, and we welcome in the New York Post, George King, who announced his retirement in his last regular season game at Yankee Stadium on Sunday. It's all straight ahead on the first of hopefully many playoff editions of the Pinstripe Pod from the New York Post. All right, here's a Pinstripe Pod. Welcome back to the Pinstripe Pod, our New York Yankees podcast from the New York Post. We are winding down the stretch before we bring you postseason Pinstripe Pods. I'm your host, Chris Sheeran, alongside my co-host, four-time Yankees World Series champion, Jeff Nelson. Follow us on Twitter at Chris Sheeran, yes, at NYNelly43 on the Twitter machine. If you are tuned in right now, do us a favor and head into Apple Podcasts. Give us a five-star rating. Write a nice review as well. We appreciate your support, as always, in our debut season and look forward to continue to bring you two episodes a week during, hopefully, an extended Yankees playoff run. Newly retiring Yankees longtime beat writer for the Post, George King, joins us in the second half of the show. But first, as always, we bring in my co-host, four-time World Series champion with the New York Yankees, Jeff Nelson. And Nelly, not the way you want to end a season winning just two of your last eight games, but in 2000, you all kind of limped down the stretch, too. The only difference is you all uh, in 2000 were playoff superheroes, and it's a TBA with this team right here. Yeah, I mean, you go back to 2000, we did. We lost We got lost the last six. We got swept in Tampa, and Mr. Steinbrenner didn't like that too well, and we spent a long time on the tarmac. When <laughs> we were the only team flying out, only plane flying out of St. Pete. And you go into Baltimore and we lose three there, you know, and I think we backed, we wound up backing into the playoffs and winning the division because the Red Sox lost. So, but the thing of it is, is that we, we had a team that just won two world series in 98 and 99. And, you know, we were a veteran team. Tory didn't panic. Nobody panicked except the media and Mr. Steinbrenner. And once we got in, then we were our normal playoff self. I watched this only because I, I mean, I do, I'm watching all the Yankee games, but you're watching it even closer because the Marlins, and I just really don't like how they're going into the playoffs. I, you know, I, the defense, I, I didn't, you know, I knew they were shaky, but I didn't realize they were this bad. Offensively, you know, maybe Sunday they were just going through the motions because they knew probably what seed they were going to have. And you just want to get that game over with. I mean, it really wasn't much to play for. But Friday they did. They had something to play for. I mean, they still could have had a better seed and maybe even tried for a home field advantage, not home field advantage, but at least a home series in that first series. And that didn't happen. They didn't look good then. Uh, I, I just don't know how this team is going to do. And, and then all of a sudden you're playing a team in the Cleveland Indians who has the best pitching staff in the American League. Yeah, it's an uphill climb for sure. You're going to progressive field. You're going on the road. And you're playing an Indian team that comes in hot, Nelly. They're 9-2 and two down the stretch of the season as opposed to the Yankees 2-6. and six. However... You cannot bring up the Yankees roller coaster season and not bring up the Indians roller coaster season because it's been kind of the same thing for them. It's just the difference in coming down the stretch. The Indians are red hot and the Yankees are flat as a pancake, but the Indians did have a similar type season to the Yankees. They started 10 and 9, Jeff, 
Then they had a 16 and six stretch, which is what the Yankees started out as this season. That's until they met up with the Tampa Bay Rays. And then the Indians went 0 and 8. They lost eight straight, and then they finished the season nine and two. And they were three, they took three out of four from the Tigers. They swept the Chicago White Sox, a four game sweep, and they took two of three from Pitt down the stretch. So you can't bring up the Yankees up and down without bringing up the Indians up and down. But as you said, the thing that's scary, Jeff, the team ERA for this Cleveland Indians team is second to just the Dodgers in Major League Baseball in this shortened season. Yeah, and, you know, I think out of any of the teams in the Central that the Yankees were going to play, you know, it was going to be a little different, I think, with the Twins. And I would much rather see the Yankees have played them. They had Maeda, they had Hill, so they're going to get different looks. And, and you know, the dominance that the Yankees had over the Twins doesn't mean anything to those two pitchers. Chicago was going to be a little bit scary, but I think with some of their young pitching, the Yankees probably could have got through that. But offensively, uh, they're a much more dangerous team than I think the Twins and the Indians put together. But pitching wins. And if you have great starting pitching and the Indians have a very good bullpen as well, I mean, I, I think the Yankees probably match up a little bit better in, down in that bullpen than the Indians do. But as far as the rotation, if you get past Cole, the Indians are, are much better and possibly Bieber could win a Cy Young. I mean, and I think game one, the emphasis on game one for the Yankees are, are probably more important than maybe any other team as far as them getting past and winning Cole's Cole's game. It's just, it's alarming to me. I mean, you have a team that went into the, the 2020 season, even though it's 60 games, supposed to be one of the best teams in baseball. And, and you wind up scratching your head saying, we're not the, one of the best teams in baseball. Yeah, I think it's about time, Jeff. And I don't know if you agree with me, but I've been following this Yankee team very closely. My time at the Yes Network, 2017, they, they were game shy of getting into the World Series. They lost to the Astros. We know what the Astros are doing in 2017, but... You know, that that's history. We got to look forward now. 2018, they lose to the Red Sox. And then last year, they lose to the Astros again. And, and the common denominator in all three of those series, the reason why the Yankees lost was because they didn't have deep pitching. That's first and foremost, like you just brought up. But in key moments, their lineup, which is highly touted all season long, goes into hibernation at the wrong times. And you know, home runs are nice. I, I I can't sit here and say home runs aren't great because they the Yankees are built to hit them and they're built to play in their stadium. That's another thing that scares me about going to Cleveland with this team. Jeff, I have all the confidence in the world in Garrett Cole going out there and being the $36 million man that he is, that the Yankees brought in. They brought him in for games like this, game one against the Indians. Not concerned about him. I'm concerned with what you brought up, which is the defense, which is the worst Yankee defense in a decade. And it's also the lineup. Which lineup is going to show up against this good pitching against the Indians? Well, that's the thing. They re the Yankees rely so much on the home run. And when you're not hitting it, you know, you wind up losing. I mean, look at uh, what did they go through a five game stretch before they finally hit one. Uh, and, and they play terrible in those games. And they're not, they're not. They're not able to manufacture runs right now other other than a home run. That's a little difficult because once you get into the playoffs, you're going to face good starting pitching, and good Bieber, pitching all around. Jeff Bieber at home, he's 3-0 and in four starts with a 123 ERA, a 185 batting average against, and no home runs allowed at home for him. All seven of the home runs he gave up this season were on the road. And the thing of it, I mean, the one thing that benefits the Yankees a little bit is going into Cleveland when there's no fans in the stands. 
you know, that's, you know, I really don't see where there's really a home field advantage. Obviously, the Yankees love the right field ports. They take advantage of that. They play very well at home, or they did. Cleveland's the same way. They play they play well at home as well. But, you know, Cleveland going in there, I mean, we, I was in the playoffs for eight years, and I don't know how many of them were against the Cleveland Indians, whether it's the division series or the ALCS. And their fans are nuts. You know, during the playoff <laughs> time, they're nuts. And, and you know that that's a little intimidating for some of the play some of the players and and you know i think that benefits the yankees a little bit going into a going into a place where you're not going to hear but nothing but maybe crowd noise pumped in but you're not going to be called names you're not going to be thrown having things thrown at you so as far as that i think it's maybe a little bit easier going in there and not having the pressure of the cleveland indian fans what about this i told you my concerns about the lineup about pitching maybe past Cole because it's a toss-up once you get past Cole and Bieber it's a toss-up between these two teams Carrasco Plezak Tanaka Hap if it comes down to games two and games three this is going to be a very interesting series to watch play out but what are some of your concerns Jeff besides the defense and the lineup the things that you saw maybe in those last three games when you did those Marlins games yeah and you know just real I mean if you look at the Twins and the White Sox two of the other teams that they could have played and I think playoff experience is everything. I think, you know, that takes away a lot of the butterflies, a lot of the things that could happen on the field that, you know, you, you try to do too much as a player, try to, you know, everything gets magnified. The Cleveland Indians are one. That's why I, I didn't want to see the Yankees play them because they're just as experienced in the playoffs. Those that team over there as the Yankees are. So you have two very experienced teams. One thing that, you know, I don't like, you know, you have Sanchez behind the plate. You have no idea what you're going to get from him as far as blocking a ball, letting pass balls, wild pitches, uh, throwing the ball away. Torres is not a, not a great shortstop. Urshela is, is the, one of the best third basemen in the league, so you really don't have to worry about his defensive play over there. Second base is not great. They just, you know, it almost seems like to me they have mental lapses during the easy plays, and, and that's the thing. You can make the hard plays, See, but that's the thing. The easy that, plays they don't make. That's the thing that cannot happen in game one. You cannot be kicking the ball around behind Garrett Cole. There's a lot of pressure, not only on Cole, Nelly. There's a lot of pressure on this entire team to play perfect behind him because this could be a, a game between these two pitchers where it goes very fast and that and one run could be the difference. I mean, yeah, it, I could see it as a two, yeah. one game or one, nothing game. And, and, you know, whichever side, you know, you're going to squeak a run off of one of these starters, whether it's Bieber or Cole. And, and, and that's probably going to be it against the Marlins. Tyler Wade, it was the win on Saturday, Tyler Wade, laid down the only sacrifice bunt that the Yankees put down all season long. And you know what it led to, Jeff? It led to a DJ LeMahieu double and two runs scoring. So how about that? A sacrifice bunt. Yeah, but you're sacrificing it out. Yes, genius, but you're also moving the runners over and you just scored two runs. So, you know, I, I just, I'll never be able to see the analytic argument, you're giving up and out. You're giving up and out. So what you're basically telling me is, and I need to bring this up with you because I need to get your thoughts on this. So what you're telling me is if you're down, and my wife even got involved in this discussion because she doesn't understand it either, and she's not a huge sports fan, but she was like, so if you're down a run in the bottom of the ninth and and you have your leadoff guy get on, they don't want to move him over. They'd rather have the guy wait and hit a two-run homer instead of trying to move him into scoring. I said, yeah, that, that's basically what they're trying to tell you with these numbers. I never understand that. I realize, Jeff, that if you hit a two-run homer, you win the game and you walk off. But wouldn't you want to at least tie the damn thing? I mean, doesn't that give you a better opportunity? 
Well, look at Friday. I mean, Friday, the game, the, the Yankees should have won that game. Uh, you know, you get first and second. You know, you go extra innings. You have the man on second. The next thing you know, you have first and second. Higashioka is up, and he pops up a bun. He sits there and stabs at it. You know, these guys don't take bunning serious anymore because of the analytics. You know, some teams do. Some teams have to manufacture runs a different way. And, and if I you just, look at the Yankees, they're too reliant on the home run. I don't I don't get this beat your chest. We're the Bronx Bombers. We're just going to hit home runs. How has that worked out in the last three freaking postseasons? Well, they've won one World Series in, since 2000. Yes, so a 10-year gap, yes. you've won one. And, and you know, not even come close. I mean, you know, you come close, but you know, you can't ride on that. You, no, you, know, it's, you cannot. No, no, you cannot. And 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 it's not just the Cleveland's game one starter. They have a solid bullpen too, with Brad Hand, who's sixteen for sixteen in save chances this season. He hasn't blown one. So if you're a Yankee fan, you, you should be shaking in your shoes here. Yeah, you got Cole going. Uh, on Tuesday in game one, but he's going up against the guy who could win the Cy Young Award. And I'm sure, Nelly, throughout your uh, playoff tenure with the Yankees and all the success that you had, there were some nail biters, too, in the home dugout and in the away dugout when you guys were on the road. But I'm sure you have a Nelly's nugget today that is from that postseason dynasty that you could share with us and maybe get all us Yankee fans in kind of a good mood reminiscing a little before we get into this 2020 postseason? Well, I mean, what was interesting is Tino Martinez and myself came over and that after 95, after we beat the Yankees in the first uh, divisional playoff. And Always have to remind us. Yes. We? And, uh, you know, and, and old Don Mattingly was over there. But then we go in 96, and that's the toughest part is that you're not going to see the fans. And, you know, when you're when you're talking postseason, you're talking Yankee baseball. I mean, I hope the biggest thing is walking in the Yankee stadium and having – the nutso fans that they have, the most passionate fans, I think, in baseball. And, and you know, that that was an intimidation factor for another the other team. You know, us going in there in 95, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't the best, the pleasant of situations. You know, when we go out, out there and you're out in the bullpen, you're getting beer dumped on you and and uh, coming out smelling like Budweiser when you're when you're trying to get outs on the mounds. Uh, <laughs> and, and it was, you know, 95, there was no security above the the visiting bullpen and they had that whole stands out there in right field and they're throwing, I'm warming up and I'm getting beer thrown. I mean, back then beers were probably what, two fifty or whatever, you know, instead of the $20 beer that they give now. So but then they'll, they'll, they'll dump a cup on you. And I was, you know, and there was nobody to, to say anything to say, Hey, I'm getting freaking beer dumped all over me. I had to hurry up and try to warm up and I come out and I had my whole my whole uniform was soaked with uh, with the smell of beer, and I'm sure Pinella thought, okay, he better get some outs here because if he's been drinking down the bullpen, something's going on. <laughs> but uh, but then the next day, you know, game two, they had they had security out there, so it was a little bit a little bit easier. But then you go in '96, and then we make the playoffs. I was on the mound. You know, it's the greatest experience that I, I think I've ever had when we beat the Brewers and clinched the East. That was a real thrill. But then going into the playoffs, I mean, you still had a lot of expectations, but. You know, you had a veteran team and, you know, everybody relied on each other once you, you had a job to do. And, and if you just did your job and not worried about anybody else, uh, you had success. And I think that's one of the reasons why we had a lot of success in the postseason, that everybody knew what they needed to do to help that team win. And once you step between the lines is what we did, whether it was Derek Jeter, Paul O'Neill, Tino, myself, Mo, Stanton. I mean, we knew what we had to do to help the team win. But it's just, the toughest part is, is that there's not going to be fans. 
And, and even when we went on the road, because we played the Indians quite a few times when I was with the Yankees. And even in 95 with the Mariners, they beat us to go to the World Series in 95. So, I mean, that's a hostile place. And and that's why I say I think you know, it benefits the Yankees that the fans aren't there. Definitely doesn't benefit them very well when they go back to Yankee Stadium that the fans aren't there. I mean, things could have been maybe a little bit different this year. But uh, the fans play such a huge part in the postseason, and that's one thing I'm going to miss, you know, the, the hostile fans in certain areas because that's something you feed off of or you get intimidated by. Yeah, it, it makes it all fun. It really does. You're absolutely right, and that's an element that's just not going to be there. Uh, before we get to George King of the New York Post, Nelly, uh, what's your gut tell you? Give me a prediction of this first-round wild-card series between the Indians and Yankees. Well, my gut's not very good because I, I didn't want to see them play the Indians because when you have the Betts pissing staff, and, and they have experience, they have playoff experience, so that worries me just a little bit. But I think it's game one. If the Yankees can win game one behind Cole and, and they come out, play solid defense behind him, and don't make the mistakes, don't give the Indians the extra outs, I think they can get by this series because I think Tanaka's been that good in the postseason that I don't really don't think you have to worry about him so much but you will if they don't win game one. I believe the same thing. I'm going to give you uh, that in an if-then statement, like basic computer programming. If the Yankees win Garrett Cole's start on Tuesday, then I believe they win this series because between Tanaka or Hap and the Yankees lineup, which I think is superior to the Indians lineup, the Yankees will be moving on and they'll be going to San Diego to the next round. I really, truly believe that. Yeah, I agree with you. I think if uh, if they win, if they win cold, then I think they probably wrap this up in two. I don't think it goes three games. Yankees longtime beat writer for the Post, George King, now joins the show. Read George's stories in the New York Post or at nypost.com. George has announced that he will be retiring after the season in November, actually. So you have a little bit of the postseason. George, why now are you deciding to step away? Well, just uh, 65 in November, and I've been at this for, oh, I don't know. I, my first game I covered was 86, and I've been in this business since I was 17 years old in Greenville, Tennessee, and it's time, you know. I mean, uh, you, know, you don't want to go from the press box to the walker. You want to have some fun. <laughs> Well, well, George, I'll say real quick that, you know, I was there for six years and it was a pleasure having you report games. And I talked to you a lot, even off the field. And even when I started doing Yes Network, you were always one of the you wrote it like it was, you, you know, you were very fair and, you know, you, you weren't out to rip guys, but you told it like it was. And, you know, I think every player appreciated that. I know I appreciated that. And I thought you did a, a heck of a job the time that you that you reported and you were there in the Yankee Stadium. So it was a pleasure to get to know you. And, and hopefully that friendship continues. Well, thank you, Jeff. When players don't like what they see in a newspaper, there's usually a couple of reasons why. And one of them, the big one is, you know, some people make it personal. And if a player hits three home runs or throws a shutout, you put that in the paper. If the pitcher's ERA is 6.5 for three months, you put that in the paper and you're okay because it's, it's just, it's numbers and stuff. It's, I think when the media gets in trouble with players and rightfully so is when they make it personal. I try to stay away from that. One time, I mean, when I first came to the Yankees, the first things that they said, don't listen to sports radio, 
don't read the papers and you'll make it in New York and then know that everybody gets booed. You know, I, I mean, I read a little bit, not a whole lot, but I knew I, I knew the guys that were fair and I knew the guys that wrote it. And obviously, if you did bad, I mean, you know, it's not personal. You guys have a job to do and we should have done a better job on the field. And then maybe you would have had some good comments to do. Right. It's a slippery slope and it's getting a lot slipperier with, you know, the bosses want it like if, if somebody says something at one o'clock, they want it at 101 on their websites and on their Twitter accounts. And that, that gets a little you know, people, I think, get ahead of ourselves. Like the boss wants it quick. You put it up quick. And then maybe you think, geez, you know, I shouldn't I should have done it this way. It is what it is today. So uh, thanks for the nice words. Well, you, you had your relationship with Nelly as a player, George. You also had relationships with uh, your fellow beat writers and also guys like me who come in there for uh, with the Yes Network. And I was kind of wet behind my ears, barely wet behind my ears when I first met you and you treated me like I was uh, an equal. So I appreciate that and I want to get that out there as well. What did it mean to you, George, being in the press box yesterday on Sunday and seeing the Yankees tribute to you and seeing both managers, Mattingly and Aaron Boone, tipping their cap to you, that had to mean so much to you in that moment. It was unbelievable. I thought, you know, this is what happens in the press box. The writers get around them, they give them an envelope, a card, and everybody you know, says thank you. But what the Yankees did and uh, what the Yes Network did was, was mind-blowing. They get Tory and Girardi on the big board. What was What was really neat was that the Marlins were there with Mattingly, right. Duncan, Gary Dembo. I mean, guys that I've, I've known forever. Um, it was it was really mind-blowing. It was terrific. So, I, you know, we get asked all the time, you know, favorite memories. So you got to have some. You know, you had to think of it a little bit. What are some of your favorite memories as far as covering some of the teams? The Oddly enough... <laughs> Besides covering me, I mean, I know that was a great memory of it. <laughs> Especially when somebody asked you about Frank Thomas and, and yeah. you said, look at the numbers. Yeah. Uh, the favorite baseball moment, and only because of the magnitude of it, was the 2001 World Series. I mean, I don't think you're going to get a better deal. You had everything. You had blowouts, you had one run games, and you have it, you know, the way it ended. A lot of the memories happened off the field. I was in the press box for the 89 earthquake in Candlestick. I probably foolishly wandered down. We, I was covering the Phillies, and we were in um, L.A. when the Rodney Kingverter came in. And L.A. went up in flames. And being a little naive, maybe dumb, I decided to go to see what was going on and reported for the paper in Trenton where I was working. That was not a good move. <laughs> no, got stuck in the middle of it all, had to get out of it, and get my rent-a-car turned around the wrong way. But baseball-wise, I mean, uh, that, that World Series was it. Jeff knows this I mean, better than anybody. But just being around superstars like Jeter and Rivera, because I was coming from Philly where there was good players, but not like these players. And to see those players play every night, or almost every night, it's a long deal to begin with, so you can't. I can't block it up in short chops. But to be around that for as long as I was around it was. Is there a book coming? <laughs> no. no. <laughs> you and I can sit down. We'll, 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 we'll come up with something. Somebody asked. People asked me. Well, you know, you did this for so long. You write a book, and then, you know, you get a little nibble from a publisher or an agent, and the book they want, I won't write. Because how am I going to, guys like Jeff and everybody that's helped me make a living in this business, and then you're going to turn around and write a book that 
the publishers want, which is not about baseball. No, I'm, I'm not in for that. I told them, I said, there's not enough money in your account for that. So, yeah, good for you. Uh, on and I don't know if, a, if sports books, I'll be honest with you, I don't know how much they pay. So I think we're going to leave the book on the sidelines. <laughs> well, we're going to leave that book on the sidelines. How about, George, how about uh, journalism and how it's changed over the years? You just brought up earlier how if somebody says something at 1 o'clock, they want it on the website at 101 or their Twitter account. So how has it evolved and how have you had to dodge and duck your way through the changing times? The immediacy of it, and rightfully so, because, you know, let's face it, the paper in the driveway days, if they're not over for a lot of people, they're quickly running away. You have people in, well, now you have people at home, but you have people in offices that, you know, that's all they do all day, I'm sure, is read the websites. There's a good point to that. You know, people get their information quick. But the downside of that is, and I'm talking mostly about Twitter and other social media sites, there's nobody editing what's going up on the web, on the social media. There's nobody, when you tweet, that's yours. You know, your mistake, your misspelling, or wrong information. Guys my age have been raised in the business where you send your story in and 15, 20 minutes later, there's a copy editor some calling you and say, can we move this up? That might not be right. And that's gone. And I think that's kind of important. But in the time we live in, we don't have that second, third set of eyes on it. That's, the, in my mind, the biggest change. Did it make it easier this year to make that decision to retire, knowing that, you know, COVID-19, a lot went on, you didn't have the same relationship with the players, and you kind of got a sense of what retirement would be like? No, I mean, to say it didn't have any play in it would be wrong, because, I mean, when I got home from spring training from Florida, and the commissioner had said, we're, we're going to delay the start of the season for two weeks, at that point, March in Florida, it wasn't bad. It wasn't a lot of cases. And then you come home to hear... And all of a sudden, Central Park is a hospital. We lost Anthony Causey, our photographer at the uh, Post. But I'd already, I had thought about it before, so it, that did really wasn't a, a real big factor. But I will tell you this, not being able to get into the clubhouse and talk to players, that's not what the Post does. I mean, Post wants different stuff. And I haven't seen a player face-to-face since March 20th. And that... That's different. And I don't, you know, and going forward, I don't know if the media's ever going to get back in the clubhouse. Hmm. I think we might progress to the point where, you know, players come into the interview room. I, I don't know. A, a lot depends on where this, you know, pandemic goes. But no, I wouldn't say that had um, a big play in all this. Well, they were worried about the 60-game season, George, being played through, and we got through the 60 games. The NBA did a great job with their bubble, the NHL, the WNBA, all with their bubbles as well, and they were able to have their postseason runs, and now Major League Baseball gets to do it too, and they're going to switch up to a bubble. But let's pump the brakes a little bit about the next round, the Yankees drew the Indians, and and it was up in the air until yesterday where they were going to play, and they're in Cleveland for all three games if necessary. What does this hinge on, George? Is it game one? Does it all rest on this Bieber versus Cole matchup? I really, I think so. And without knowing who the Indians are going to pitch in games two and three, I would assume Carrasco's in the mix for that. Right. But you really can't like the Yankees' chances if they lose the game Cole pitches. I mean, they can win that game 11-9, but they have to, in my opinion, they have to win the game he pitches. If they, they do that, 
I think they have a real good chance of winning the rest of it, but I can't see them winning the series without the game cold pitches. Yeah, I think they'll probably go Carrasco and probably Plesac at least if it, if it goes a third game. But, you know, out, out of any team, I would have felt more comfortable with them playing the Twins. But, you know, watching them over the weekend, they are not a good defensive team. They are a terrible defensive team. And the mistakes that they make on the field will wind up costing them, especially against the Indians, who are a decent fielding team. And I was really surprised. I mean, I watched them over the year, but, you know, watching these three games closely because they were playing the Marlins, I was like, wow, I mean, they make a lot of mistakes in the field. And, and you know, that's not a championship club that they're putting out there and going into Tuesday. You're, you're right, Jeff. They're, the problem I see defensively for them is they are very, very, very limited in range in the infield. If you like Void, he's an average defender. If you don't like him, he's a below average defender. LeMahieu, for all his bat work and stuff, he's a tick above maybe. Torres is not, in my opinion, Torres is not a, a major league shortstop that you win World Series with. Urshela is terrific at third base. His range might be a little limited. And then when you get behind the plate, I mean, Gary's troubles have spoken for themselves for three years now. They're not very athletic in the infield. On top of the errors that they make, it's the plays they don't make. You know, so all of a sudden the ground ball double plays a two-run single because somebody didn't get to it. So, yeah, I, defensively, I, I think, you know, it hurts them. It really does. They limp down the stretch, and, and it's basically because of what Jeff just said. Mainly, it's been the defense, the two and six in their last eight games. I mean, that's not the way you want to – head into the postseason. However, George, uh, if it does hinge on that Cole Bieber game number one, if they do win that and they do win this series against the Indians, do you think they can go on a long run despite, you know, the defensive problems that they've had and everything you just discussed? You know, I do think to a point that because of their deep bullpen, which hasn't been as good as I think they expected and people expected, but it's still pretty good. And the fact that, listen, nobody has five starters to pitch in October. Usually, right. like three and a long guy. But they, if you get to Hap and you go beyond Hap, if you need starters, they have a Loisica. They're high on the kid who pitched yesterday, Clark Schmidt. I don't know if he's ready for all that. They're high on Garcia, who's pitched well. I don't know if he's ready for that either. But I would say they probably have six or seven guys they can use with confidence compared to other teams that are going to be scraping the bottom of the barrel for a starter. But there's something missing. When you look at teams and you think they're World Series winners, you look at the Yankees and there's a feeling that I get anyway that there's something missing. They're so right-handed heavy that right-handed pitching could, could hurt them. This team, uh, you know, anything can happen to me seeing teams that made the playoffs that maybe might not make the playoffs if it was 162 games. And, you know, maybe the Yankees are a better team. If it was 162, they wind up being, you know, everything that, you know, they were supposed to be, like one of the best teams in baseball. Has this team surprised you in a way that they weren't better as far as maybe not winning the division, maybe the Rays surprising everyone? You know, is this was it kind of like, wow, I, I thought this would be a little bit different this year. Yeah, I, I really did. I thought that this team, you know, had enough. Left-handed hitting is a little short. I thought that this team was going to be better than that. What really surprised me is how streaky. They lose 15 out of 20. They win 10 in a row. They lose, you know, 6 out of 8. When it really mattered. I mean, you know, second pl- the best record is second place. That gives you a little bit of momentum going into the postseason. I, I know the 2000 Yankees, which people want to talk about, 88 wins, but it was a whole was six months of playing ball. This was basically two months plus. But I, I really thought this team would be better. Now, 
having said that, you know, Judge and Stanton didn't play for a while. They lost Paxton. But every team has its own injury issues. But I, I really thought that when this thing restarted, that this team, that when they had Judge and Stanton, I thought this team was going to be a lot better than what they did. All right, George, last thing for me, and that's a, a prediction. Who wins this series between the Yankees and Indians? Well, I think I'm in the minority, but I, I really think Cole wins that game. I really, I mean, not having seen the Indians because the regional schedules, I think Cole wins that game. And then if Cole wins that game, I think the Yankees win. But I wouldn't be shocked if it went the other way. Yeah. And the only thing is that the offense for the Indians was not that good. I mean, they're 12th in, in the American League. So they got that, I guess, as a negative going in. And pitching is the reason why they've gotten to where they are now. And, and you're right. If, if they can win Cole's game, it'll be interesting to see Tanaka and also Hap if it winds up going a third game. You know, and uh, and how Boone, you know, manages the game. You know, this is something that you have Garrett Cole. You signed him to be the ace and you signed him to pitch in games like this, especially nobody knew it was going to be a three game series or the best two out of three. How do you think that goes? Do you think do you think, you know, analytics plays so much in, in the part of the games, obviously. But I think in the postseason, you can't script the postseason. You start scripting the postseason. You look at the Dodgers. You, you know, they could have easily won if they let let the field part of the game you know, just guide their way to a championship. But no, they decide to script it and they have to do all this other stuff. They lose. What do you think Boone does with Cole? And as far as does he give him that little leash, that extra leash and say, you know what, I'm going to trust him and I got to get him into the seventh, eighth inning. He's my horse. Or all of a sudden he says, oh, you know, third time around the lineup or, oh, this is a better matchup. I got to go to my bullpen right away. I think the leash on Cole is as long as you can give it to him. You you go back to – the wild card game against the Twins a couple of years ago. Severino gave up five runs in the first. If I mean, if that happens, you know you're in trouble anyway. Right. So listen, I, I really think that Hal Steinbrenner gave Caracol that money for Tuesday night and a lot of Tuesday nights to follow. And <laughs> if he gives up four in the first, Jay Happ gives up four in the first in Game Three. The leash becomes real quick. I think he stay. I think Boone will stay with Cole as. I mean, there, there is always a point, right, where, you know, it's 8 nothing, and you got to get the guy out of there. But um, I think the leash on Garrett Cole on Tuesday night is going to be real long. You just mentioned Garrett Cole. This is the reason why the Yankees signed him for Tuesday night. This is basically a stamp, you know, as far as his Yankee career. You know, you think of any added pressure that he's feeling that, hey, you know, this is the reason why they signed me. I've got to go out and win this game. And obviously every single Yankee fan is looking at the same thing. I totally agree that, you know, you, you wouldn't be human, right, if you didn't feel a little bit of that. Maybe the break that he gets in that department is that, A, it's on the road, and B, there's no fans, but there'll be a ton, ton of people watching on television. I think, yeah, he's got to feel a little bit of it. But I also, just being around him a little bit, I don't think it really bothers I don't think the outside stuff bothers him. I think he is so consumed with what he's doing at the moment. I mean, you see him get ticked off when he doesn't make a pitch. I don't think that'll be a problem, but it's got to be in there somewhere. Yeah, and the defense has to be clean behind him, and then we could hopefully see a game one win. George, thank you so much for the time, and I know you're not stepping away completely until November, but enjoy retirement. We've appreciated you over the years, trust me. Thanks, guys. Thanks, George.
That says goodnight to episode 31, the Aaron Hicks or Dave Winfield edition of the Pinstripe Pod, our New York Yankees podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Jake Brown and Sarah McCrory for producing the show. Catch up on all the Pinstripe Pod episodes this season wherever you get your podcast, but make sure to give us a five-star rating and write a nice review on Apple Podcasts. For Jeff Nelson, I'm Chris Shear, and we'll be back following the wildcard series. Enjoy the games. Talk to you all then. Stay safe.